0: You're listening to the one podcast network. One of and all of the shows on it are a hundred percent subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to one of Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. digital noise and digital
1: noise. it's your week are you prepared <laughs> i am ready have you bequeath the- it upon me it bequeathed upon it's me? what i got Dan. just go with it okay i'm here i'm <laughs> bequeathing it to you there you've been bequeathed. the honor of the digital noise mantle
0: <laughs> we do have a, a small stack uh, comparatively of movies to talk about this week that are interesting yeah that Mostly good and kind of unique. Are they mostly good and kind of unique? Because I would go with mostly bad, but definitely unique.
1: Okay, unique at least. I I was very rarely bored. Okay. Which, which, quite frankly, is not always the truth on digital noise. That
0: is true. That does happen. This is not necessarily boring films, but not necessarily yeah, good either. But we are going to start with, with what we both have declared our, our pick of the week, and definitely the biggest release of this stack of films, which is the Blu-ray 4K release of It Chapter 2, which came out to nowhere near as much celebration as the first well, film. Um, I think this is one of those cases of people who fell so madly in love with the first film and... I don't know. Like, I, I expecting too much. Like about there, when ex- I
1: saw this in theaters, there was a gag of about thirty, admittedly high schoolers behind me who were laughing at it, and it got to a point I, like, part of me wanted to turn around and be like, "Don't you guys see how brilliant this is?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I really enjoyed this sequel, and I was uh, I feel like pretty verbal. I do not think it's quite as strong as the first one, but that doesn't mean. It's bad. It's not bad at all. It's still pretty damn good. It's just, there was something very special about that young crew of actors. So
1: here's the problem is that, one, the book itself, it's one story, which we all know. It's them as adults and they're flashing back to the kids' stories. Yeah. So it's taking place
0: in two different time periods. Uh,
1: And so I actually, let me preface this by saying I would really enjoy watching a spliced cut. Because I think it chapter two on its own does not really work as a standalone movie. Mm-hmm. I, I happened to, I knew this was coming. So I watched it chapter one on a plane trip I had recently. And so it was, it's like Quantum of Solace, which is a bad Bond movie, mm-hmm. unless you just watch Casino Royale, in which case it's actually really good. I disagree. But yeah, okay. You're wrong. <laughs> I can't stand it. But so like. It's – the plot as it is, it's them as adults, 27 years later, Pennywise the Clown comes back and is murdering people again. Yeah. And the movie and the book itself begins with Mike Hanlon calling them all and them as they're all wildly successful individuals who are all wealthy and very – I mean, they're successful. We're, we're not going to go with happy, but, but they, they are wealthy and have, in quotes – good luck they 're
0: successful and unsuccessful yeah. at the same time, uh, depending on
1: each different they 're all
0: miserable so, yeah, they 're <laughs> all miserable when, so, but I feel like that ties into the that it, premise of like saying none of them remember that shit going on at first in Derry, and it becomes clear that part of the supernatural
1: nature of it is when you leave the town you forget well it 's pennywise 's effects you know like yeah. he strips himself from your mind and, and that 's the thing. It works in the book where as these characters are remembering these events flashing back to the first movie. um, So you have the the through line of the children's story kind of carrying the emotional weight and all of the import and the emotional connection of them as adults gets related to that. When you split them up, it does not work as well. This movie is awesome. Awkward. The structure of the second act is messy as all hell and redundant. Like, truly, as an actual adaptation, if they wanted to make this a better standalone movie, they probably should have done a lot of combining of things and pairing down. Well, they did oddly but,
0: choose to film new footage with the kids who are in this a lot as well, with new flashback stuff that wasn't in the first movie, which was a problem because all the young actors were on the cusp of puberty when they filmed the first one and they've all grown up a lot, so they had to
1: digitally DA. I still don't. I I didn't notice that in theaters and I didn't notice it here. I still didn't notice it. And I looked for it.
0: Yeah, but... But, I mean, I just mean it added cost. So so
1: the the story is them coming back as adults and remembering that Pennywise is indeed real. And about half of the movie is them splitting off on their own solo adventures as they're trying to get literal plot tokens in order to (laughs) to, to perform a ritual that will allow them to fight Pennywise, the clown, while Pennywise is coming after them. And like... So I realized while watching this movie that they have managed to make a really low-key but really powerful cosmic horror movie where it's less about... The scares, and and it's more about them dealing with the unfathomable, which is why there's a lot of stuff that if you go in just going like, I'm expecting it part two, and it's going to be its own standalone movie and scary and different. You're going to be disappointed because it's very much about it's very Uh, much a sequel to the first film. It's a sequel to the first film, and it's about uh, overcoming on the emotional battlefield, Pennywise the Clown. Like I liked it in theaters, and watching the third act again this time, I really enjoy the fact that they visualize a battle of wills. Like That's what this whole thing is. There's never a point where they're in a physical confrontation, even though it gets physical. It's always them trying to one-up each other and make the other party feel like they are not as good as they really are.
0: And I agree with you. It doesn't all fit together anywhere near as well as the first one does. But that being said, it's still deeply enjoyable. There's so many great set pieces in this and, that are generally creepy, creepy. There's a few mistakes along the way. There's some things that hit other people wrong that didn't hit me wrong that I thought were were fine how they were, but other people were complaining about them. I don't know. I think people were getting a little too precious about this film. I agree. Um, I think the, the cast is terrific here. I liked it. In some ways, their exploration is an allegory for sort of figuring out why you're unhappy in your adult life because it's tied to childhood trauma and exploring that childhood trauma with Pennywise just being more of an allegory for childhood trauma and them learning how they're going to become happy as adults by being
1: able to emotionally defeat this childhood drama, and tra- uh, traumas. Purely from an adaptation point of view, the director made a very intelligent choice of cutting the worst parts of the book out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I I almost, I read the book in between part one and part two and I almost turned it off in the last third because I hated it so much. Because
0: okay. well, will- the, the,
1: the, there is a character who shows back up, who thankfully is cut out, and then there is a, a very controversial orgy scene that they did not show. Yeah. And it it makes the movie significantly more powerful for those being absent. There's uh,
0: also, it still does end the way the book ends largely with some twists and turns of a giant spider, which was, Never something that worked in the book. It really didn't work in the original miniseries,
1: and this is the best version we've seen. It I, so I far. like it. Like, like I, so. So that's that's the part that that the group was laughing at. Yeah. Uh, which is when it gets into that spider versus them, and I, I get it because they're trying to visualize things that are inherently silly. If you really think about it, but it really gets that to the heart of what the problem with Cosmic Horror is. How do you show something that? is indescribable by its very essence. Mm-hmm. You know, Pennywise is a immortal old one, like Cthulhu. How do you show that shit? Right. And I-, I
0: think they do... A decent job, if not a perfect job. I, I, uh, like it said, there's some awkward moments, and there's some really awkward moments towards the end. For me, did not 100% work. The Spider did not 100% work, but it's the <laughs> best version of it we've seen so far, and that includes the way it was described in the book.
1: Right.
0: Uh, which I remember, as a kid, even reading that, being disappointed by going, this uh, is not what I would have pictured. Yeah. But, Overall, I think it's quite good. guard is also really good again in yeah, this. Yeah, he is. Um, and it's, it's a movie that if you've heard bad things about, you know what? Go see it and make it up your own mind. There are some lovely bonus features that come in the set. Uh, the Disc one, which is the 4K, comes with just the commentary by the director, Andy Machete. But the bonus features, uh, there's two mini features, both just over like between 30 and 40 minutes that are about first It Chapter 1 and then It Chapter 2. And I'll admit, the first one is also more engaging than the second one here, uh, where it's really talking to all these kid actors and realizing the degree to which they all became real, genuine, close-as-shit friends. And they said the hardest thing about filming the first movie was that the guys who played the bullies were part of that friends group. Like, they all became super tight, including the bully actors. And they said it was really hard going on set and being having to be afraid of these guys and like hate them when they were like our best friends. (laughs) you know. (laughs) It's like that was, that was kind of an issue, but they're charming little features about and really well done behind the scenes sort of making ofs that don't outstay their welcome either. There's a, some extra, some other features as well, which take heavily pieces from what we see in those other two. Like I think specifically about Skarsgård becoming the clown again. And apparently it was hard because he was like, it was a hard character to create in the first place. And he had to go to some dark places well, to do it. And then having to do it again, he's like, I'm not sure I can do it again. And he's
1: so phenomenal. Like I was one of the people going into this who went, nah, Tim Curry did it. I don't ever need to see anyone else do it again, which I realized that everything about that movie, except for Tim Curry sucks. <laughs> Cause I've tried to watch it as an adult. It's not terrific. But, um, but like he knocks it out of the park. He, he does, he does some vocal intonation work. And my fit, fa- the, my favorite discovery of it chapter two was that the eye thing that he does where he looks at the camera and at the person yeah, he can actually do is that. real yeah <laughs> like that blew me away
0: uh, there's also the meeting of the Los- <coughs> losers club has officially begun for eight minutes, which talks about the two different versions of the and the uh, of the characters and their interaction as actors uh finding the deadlights uh which is basically just interview with Stephen King and follows him but by the way, this is my favorite Stephen King cameo in a Stephen King movie it's also the
1: longest. Agreed? Stephen King came- Cameo. I can't think of any others, kind of a, but sure. It was good. a bit
0: in it that is dealt with the ones before about how like Stephen King, because one of the characters uh, uh, is the Stephen King analog character who's a writer. And the joke is that he's really good writer, but he fucking can't a- write an ending to save his life. That's any good. And King himself, like basically... Goes to the guy and says that to him. Yeah. yeah, but your endings all suck. Which I love. Which that, is like, funny.
1: It, it's his entire arc for the first act is everybody going, dude. Your your books just can't end. You're <laughs> shit
0: ender. Uh, next up, we have Ever After. No, this is not that charming little. Uh, I think it was Disney
1: movie. Uh, uh, yeah, same thing. Uh,
0: it is a. I want to say German film. En- it is German. Enzeit. Uh, It is ostensibly a zombie film, and that's certainly the motivation here, but it's definitely more of a sort of like art house,
1: uh, like road movie. It's a movie about dealing with psychosis (coughs) by way of zombies. Yeah. It's what would it be like if you were a schizophrenic person who's starting to hallucinate and you were in the zombie after So
0: it's a post-apocalyptic future. There's two cities in Germany that have survived at this point, Weimar and Jena. And Weimar has said, well, anybody who even gets scratched, we we kill them flat out. End of story. There's no cut off their arm to survive. They're dead. They get scratched. We're not taking a chance. The other city, Jena, is looking to find <laughs> a cure. Uh, the two main characters who we meet, one of which is sort of a more experienced female soldier... Uh, in Weimar, and the other one is just sort of just reaching the age where they're saying, "Well, you need to get out there and start doing work." Yeah. But who is? Uh, she's the aforementioned schizophrenic yeah, she's person, and deeply traumatized, and and I'm kind of a mouse personality. And they both, at the same time, without realizing, they're both doing it, tried to sneak on this train that automatically goes between both cities uh, <coughs> that people are not allowed on, but it's sort of a supplies transfer yeah. train. And, you know, they both find themselves on there like, ah, shit. But then the train breaks down and they're like, fuck, we're going to have to leg it the rest of the way. Yeah, they're just stuck in the middle of nowhere. So it's their voyage together. These two people who really have nothing in common except that they're surviving a zombie apocalypse and don't like each other at all. Going through this journey, starting to get to know each other. Not even that not going the way you'd predict. And I think the character moments here are actually quite nice. Uh, by the way, this is fast zombies. But keep in mind, zombies is not really the point of this
1: yeah, film. Yeah, it's not even fast zombies. They're they're They jump over fences. There's one scene with a zombie who's doing like parkour almost. It seems like, like they they suddenly have reason. They're the World you. War Z zombies yeah. for
0: all extents and purposes. And but this is well into this having happened for a while. And they're out in the countryside, so they're occasional zombies, but they're out there. And when you see one, it's not like the walking dead where you're like, just casually walk up to them and knife them in the head. You see one, you better fucking run. Yeah. You know, either that would be the best shot in the goddamn world. And
1: it's an incredibly slow and more meditative zombie film than we usually get although it's strange like i felt i felt like the the low budget showed whatever the zombies did show up because instead of like shooting these slow long takes or pulling the camera back they would suddenly get right in the zombie's face or try to do a lot of kinetic shots and it ended up just feeling cheap okay like it didn't work for me as well <clears throat> uh hold on but Sorry, I was adjusting his mic. So yeah, thing, but. It, it ended up feeling cheap. And then uh, there's a point about halfway into the movie that you start to meet a couple of other people. Mm-hmm. And that's when the movie started to get more interesting because they started exploring the idea of like nature and humanity well, it's, intermingling. It's, see, and it, it's
0: doing interesting plot things to suddenly throw something into the plot that's not what you usually get from a zombie yeah. film, which felt kind of like... What a plot device that'll happen in the fourth chapter of The Last of Us or something. Yeah. Cause it's like, oh, well, there's something about like people literally fusing with nature and, a, and forming a whole new species. Which, and I'm like, it's okay, but, and it seems to be vaguely pro environmentalist, well, like, but I, I, it never really knows exactly what it wants to say exactly it's just it, weird it, thing that happens to be able to, to head into the
1: third act. Well, exactly. Like it's a good idea, but they don't really do anything with it. Yeah. Which is kind of my summation of this movie. Yeah. There's some interesting things, but they don't do anything with it. It ends up being just kind of another zombie movie. Yeah. I mean, that
0: feels like it, it definitely
1: wants <laughs> to be not that at all. Uh,
0: and the performances, I think, are overall solid. Although the mousy girl is mousy to a point that she's just not very interesting. No,
1: and she never really grows out of it. Yeah. Like, it works if you go through a character change, but she doesn't, and it got aggravating in the last half.
0: I do think it's genuinely worth a look, though. Um, I know there are people here who really like this movie a lot, and I can't think of any reason to argue with you if no. you do. I don't think anything about it. it's a bad movie. It just didn't really connect with me. It is on Shudder as well as on Blu-ray, by the way. Like, if if, you,
1: if you if you haven't hit the point of burnout for zombie cinema, and you're, you're not like, I kind of just don't want to ever see a zombie again, it'd be worth checking out.
0: Well, what is Bad Movie and I don't know if it's worth checking out outside of like for shits and grins is Excuse me, not wow. my, not my wow. name, yeah, I know. Is the 1987 adaptation of the V C Andrews legendary 1979 novel Flowers in the Attic. Now this was originally intended oh to be the first chapter and the first movie in a series of movies adapting the rest of
1: his books because there's like nine of these books or something before we get too deep into this I want to recommend I know I I tried but I couldn't find it at some point in the site's history Richard Whitaker was on here and he was reviewing the The, newer version of Flowers in the Attic yeah and he went on like a 20 minute rant about this entire novel franchise (laughs) and talking about its origins it is fascinating try to track it down and listen to it whoever's out there Because, like, it's uh, really helpful, too.
0: Weirdly, the Lifetime movie is held in higher regard than this film is, and that's partially because it actually stuck to its guns and actually told every disturbing detail that's in this book, which is pretty fucked up. This movie shies around the edges of those disturbing details and doesn't fully... Kind of? Like, Like, it
1: it shies away from half of them. So, like, basically, the, the story is about... A bunch of blonde Aryan kids and their happy, uh just wonderful life. Although the dad is a little rapey towards the daughter in one scene, yeah, then, where it's like real, nothing actually happens, yeah, but no, it's rapey. In, he's in, just like a little too affectionate. Yeah, in, in any other movie, we would find out that the dad's molesting the daughter, right? But before that can happen, he dies, right? And so the family has to move back in with their grandparents, the mom's parents. Yeah, who, were, and who they knew nothing yeah, about. Yeah, they're told like, hey, I, we're going here because we have to, they're rich, my father's about to die, and so I'm going to get in here and ingratiate myself with the family, and then we're going to inherit his money and be... On Easy Street. Right. But the deal so just is, bear with this hell for a few days, and we'll be fine.
0: The deal is they have to, and this is a brother, a sister, and then a younger brother and sister, yeah. uh, both like kind of a similar age. All this with is,
1: platinum blonde yeah, hair.
0: They're just pr- pretty as hell. Uh, yeah. And they are said, well, you've got to stay basically locked in this room. And then at one point, they're like, well, there's a secret wall in this room that goes up to the attic that's much bigger, and you can hang out up there. Yeah. That's the flowers and so in the attic. Y-
1: you find out very quickly that... Their mother and father were uncle and niece. Uh, it, un- un- well, I thought it was uncle and aunt. She was his uncle. She was his uncle. So they were- in- And basically, she was having sex with her uncle, and the family found out and disproved, and they fled, and so they're all the product of incest. Right. And the
0: the grandmother, played by the great Louise Fletcher, is like, well, as far as I'm concerned, you children are the spawn of Satan. Yeah. It, it like, makes it very uh, clear abominations.
1: that- That Very early on, they're like, look, we don't care if you die, you just can't be known. And and that's kind of what the movie becomes is this trial by fire of these kids stuck in a situation where they're trapped, they're not allowed out they're being slowly murdered by this rich wealthy aristocracy family and they're trying to escape
0: yeah and, and their that's mom, the movie who supposedly is their ally is appearing less and less yeah. and not believe believing them when they tell like look this fucked up shit happens and like less and less on their side it's a fucked up story and the book was a a massive success. Yeah, it's a it five
1: out. book series. No, and no, it's like nine. Successes. It's like
0: nine books now. Uh, oh, yeah, he, wow. he just never stopped writing them. Because would you?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Which, mean, like, I don't like, know. Like, and, it, and this there's was like the like one of the big things that is left out here that I know I was well, I didn't know this as I'm watching it, but I'm like, I could have sworn the brother and sister end up fucking. And yes, they do. In yes. fact, in the, in the books, that continues on. Well, it's their relationship that the books
1: they follow. Like, yeah, yeah. they're the main romantic it, characters. Exactly. Which is like, what? But that is left out entirely of
0: this. Yes. Um, even though the, the Louise Fletcher keeps insinuating that I'm, I'm sure you guys are, are, yeah, like, fucking are going to. Like, it's part of the story still. Yeah. But they weird. don't actually do it in, in this version. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of left out. And honestly, this, as much as there is a lifetime version this feels like a lifetime movie because it, it's it's a very soapy gothic horror story and it's silly well it's it's but,
1: just very grand guignol it's just it's super silly like the climax involves a character screaming eat the cookie at yeah, the at yeah. another character uh
0: Victoria Tennant plays the mom Christy S- Swanson uh plays the the older daughter here But, I, you know, I mean, the only reason to watch this is like as sheer curiosity, if you're aware of it. I I guess if you're a really big
1: fan of the book. I've
0: not seen the Lifetime one, but just knowing that that one actually tells the book as it is, I'd say probably watch that one instead. Because God
1: knows this isn't good. It's not a good movie. I know I I messaged you partway through. I was like, I don't know if this movie is just aggressively not for me. Or if it's actually a terrible film, but either way, I don't like it. Well, Arrow is re-releasing this <coughs> with a uh, you
0: know nicely nice insert booklet into it and a brand new cover. There's an audio commentary by their regular Cat Ellinger. Uh, there is uh, interviews with the cinematographer, the production di- designer, the actor Jeb Stuart Adams who played the older kid Chris. Uh, a interview with the composer. There's the original ending, which is actually quite different. All they had was a Betamax Master, so it looks like shit. But it's there if you're curious enough <laughs> to do it. There's also a commentary uh, there for that if you want to watch that. There's a production gallery in the original trailer. It's, like I said, it's not good. No. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's step, funny, though. Another Arrow releases for Slaughterhouse-Five, which, thank God, is much better. Yeah, it is. Um, this is widely thought of as the best adaptation of, of a Kurt Vonnegut novel. And they're right. It's still not 100% fantastic. Well, it's, it's just that all the others are... I mean, his books are all but unfilmable.
1: So I've never read Kurt Vonnegut. Dude. I, I know. I know. I know. They're I'm fully tremendous. aware. It's a whole in like, my... I've read
0: literally everything he ever wrote it, it, and all but the yeah. last... Two or so, which are still good. They're just like, okay, well, yeah. you're very old now. No, it's, uh, everybody uh, our has the holes in their
1: collections. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well,
0: well you've got to you should. They're fast reads too. Yeah. Like I always tell people start with Breakfast of Champions. That's a great and like super engaging one to start with. Okay. And then from there you'll just want to read every single thing he's ever written. You're like, oh my god. But Slaughterhouse-Five is often thought of, in literary circles at least, of being his best book. I, I don't agree myself, but it is really, really good. And certainly the one that is the quoted, quoted the most. And even Vonnegut, talking about this, said, uh, This is a flawless translation of my novel, Slaughterhouse-Five, to the silver screen. I drool and cackle every time I watch that film because it is, it is so harmonious with what I felt when I wrote uh-huh. the book. Admittedly, it's been a while since I read the book, so my memories of it were loose enough to remembering the main character is called Billy Pilgrim, that he is, quote, unstuck in time, a term that was invented by... Uh, Vonnegut and since has been used in many, many, many other places. Which was,
1: for those of you who haven't seen it, he's basically Dr. Manhattan without all the superpowers.
0: Uh, That part of it takes place on an alien planet called Tralfamador. And that's about all I really remembered about it from like my reading of the book. But yes, this British film directed by the really deeply underrated George Roy Hill, who it's baffling to me is still not listed as one of the all-time great American directors who did... Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the Sting. I mean, the great Waldo Pepper. Uh, he's just he. He's, he's one of a legendary filmmaker who he, never got his due. Who never really has been treated as being as good a director as he actually was. He did Slap Shot. Oh my God, I love oh. Slap Shot.
1: So well, and, good. and honestly, this movie is pretty phenomenal. Like I, it. So yeah, tell us plot. <sighs> okay, do it, Aaron. Um, Do
0: it. Now. Now. Come on, what's helping? Alright,
1: so let's go. Billy Pilgrim is <laughs> Unstuck in Time. And it it's gonna be difficult to talk about the plot because that's the issue with the movie is the narrative it, there isn't really one. It's more of an experiential film. But basically, he perceives time from throughout his entire life, not in linear fashion. So I, I mentioned he's like Dr. Manhattan, where like he can be there in the moment with his girlfriend, but he's also thinking about something that happens three years from now. Yeah. And he is also he's at the same time experiencing the moment he was turned into Dr. Manhattan. So like the movie begins with Billy Pilgrim writing his book and then midway through the sentence cuts to him during World War Two, jumps to him accepting an award, after the war jumps to him on Tralfalmador. Yeah. Um, and Where he's in
0: basically an alien... Like a gold, a gilded cage. And so th- for, for study of humans where they have put him in there with a porn star that he admired when yeah. he was growing up. <laughs>
1: and so like the, the movie itself doesn't have a narrative. It is more of just, we are experiencing this man's life. Uh, it, it's a literal slice of life movie, except it's an entire pie because of the way he experiences time. Yeah. And they don't, They don't fade. They (laughs) always do hard cuts between the time jumps. So it's always like really disjointed. And and, and this is a positive. And they'll go into sequences where he is you know, being stood up and potentially shot by Nazis as a prisoner in a POW camp. And he's having to act that while simultaneously getting an award after the war uh, where everyone's applauding him. And like it, it, it keeps playing with audio design and the visual of uh, what we're seeing as opposed to hearing. And so, I don't know, it kind of feels like Magnolia almost where, there really isn't a plot. It's just sit down and watch this guy's life. And it's fascinating the entire time for me. Uh,
0: I My feeling about this is just like, I'm going, I think this is about a good a, as good a version as you probably could do of this novel, yeah. filmic version, that decidedly is just not designed to be told in this fashion. I mean, I disagree with Vonnegut. His book is so much better than this movie is. And this movie's pretty good. Yeah. You know, it just you read the book, it is a completely different experience. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a reason very few people have even tried to adapt Vonnegut
1: film. It's like a
0: tiny handful of adaptations. I
1: can see this playing off a lot better as a book where you're uh, getting to experience the internal monologue of the character, Mm -hmm. which I, just i'm curious was he writing the actual book book in the beginning of the movie I don't like is that how the book begins because that, that feels like what you would do uh
0: so this is arrow there's a lot of stuff including a brand new artwork and a uh reversible sleeve uh and then a insert booklet as well and there's audio commentary by uh critic troy howarth There's And So It Goes, 20-minute analysis from Kim Newman, who's one of my favorite of the regulars. He's this really eccentric and funny British guy uh, who who talks about his other films, Brooch Cassidy and Sunday, It's a Kid and what have you. Pilgrim's Progress, playing Slaughterhouse-Five for 14 minutes with an interview with actor Perry King, who was... Uh, in this playing the older version of uh, Billy Pil- Pilgrim's son who went on to be kind of a television star later. He was on that, okay. sh- I th- if I remember correctly, he was on that show Riptide, which <laughs> you probably don't remember at all. I, I know the name actually. I was literally just talking about it with another older friend of mine recently about watching Riptide and <laughs> all these bad 80s shows.
1: Which is interesting because the son's story is is the one that I kind of ended up enjoying the most. <laughs> watching him drastically change throughout the years. There's only, only on Earth presenting Slaughterhouse-Five
0: for eight and a half minutes which is an in- interview with the son of the producer jennings lang who talks about his dad's career unstuck in time documenting slaughterhouse five for 14 and a half minutes which is an interview with uh, behind the scenes filmmaker robert crawford jr talking about um marketing with the film basically which he also did for butch cassidy and the sundance kid eternally connected composing slaughterhouse F- five talks to film music historian daniel schwager talking about the score uh, and then there's a the trailer, and uh, it's a pretty good set for Got this it. movie. That I still think is disappointing to me as a huge vonnegut fan, but it's as good as you're going to get for an adaptation, sure. probably. Uh, next we have Running Delilah. Oh God! All right. When I read okay. the description of this, there was no way I was not going to ask for this. This was too too batshit insane. Now I did not realize that this was a filmed originally as a pilot for a TV show that did not get picked up, and they just rightfully sort, so they just reconfigured it into a movie for release instead. Uh, but I was like, this is too crazy. I've got to do this. So Delilah uh, is a secret agent played by a young and very sexy Kim Cattrall, who is killed in the line of action, much to the chagrin of her handler, who is desperately trying to hook up with her, Billy Zane, who is wearing so much eyeliner. It like I, It's just insane how much I, I'm just like, you look like. Remember the guy from Lost? Everyone's like, that dude's got to be wearing like a shit ton of eyeliner, but it turns out that guy's eyes were just
1: that's how they look. Yeah, yeah is. like he looks like that, except it actually is eyeliner. And his character, by the way, is basically every single horrible person you see in those sexual harassment training videos. Yeah. Like he he is sexual harassment personified. So she's killed,
0: but he's like, no, no, I never got to fuck her. So let's bring her into the top. Secret God, that laboratory. is motivation. And uh, and like and say so you're gonna do these top secret ex. Experimental surgeries and turn her into basically the Bionic Woman. Yeah, she's got all now. She's got super abilities and like a, like can see stuff really far and she's super strong and she's be- and she can learn shit super fast and. And then she goes off on a mission. But can
1: she going. feel, Chris? She can. Can she feel? She's very upset about this whole thing. Talk about her. She, you oh, know, she can't feel things. Oh no! She but has it, that like emotional first, moment only at first? Oh, yeah. that's right. And they say
0: no, no, no. That'll come. Did it?
1: it? Yeah. I, I tuned out.
0: This is. It's not good. This but is. It, it's such a mess. It's so bad that it's kind of ridiculous. I'm not even going to say
1: that. This was unwatchable to me. It okay. was horrible.
0: I did not have that experience. I was like, this is not good. By any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I grew up watching TV at this point. Like yeah. 1992 is when this was made for and I was like I would have watched the show if this I was, had been had come out as a I show. I was probably. 8.
1: I probably would have
0: too. Um yeah, it's it's one this is just a crazy curiosity out there. Billy Zane is one of those actors that if he is not really motivated to try, he just doesn't try. And there's plenty of examples of movies where Billy which, Zane is like, How is this guy a huge actor? He's so bad in this. And this is one of those that you're like, you can tell he just did not give a shit about Which is
1: funny because I legitimately like Billy Zane as an actor. Mm-hmm. He is in some amazingly cheesy movies. Yeah. Like his uh Tales from the Crypt movie is phenomenal. He's great in that. I love him as the bad guy in Titanic or the Phantom. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Next up, we have another
0: Arrow re-release of Jake Speed. Now, (laughs) I had never heard of this, but this movie sounded exactly like something that, like, would have been completely up my alley in 1986 when this came out. Uh, It's kind of, like, tying together things, like, a lot of separate ideas like, I mean, it mentions, like, Remo Williams, The Adventure Continues.
1: Okay. So, yeah, yeah, they mentioned that. And, and I thought for about a third of this movie that it was in the same universe as Buckaroo Banzai. It could be, right? Like,
0: it's like fantasy characters who are who have, like, many, many, many books written about them, but of the Remo Williams, Matt, Mac Bolan, The Executioner, stuff like that. Like, those type of characters that say, no, 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 they're all real people. We just make our living like through the book sales because we're such good people we don't charge anyone (laughs) to come and help them we're like just genuinely good human heart kind-hearted humans who are real badasses and we want to help people Uh, which makes no sense because apparently this guy's got like 50 books and you're like wouldn't he be like at least 50 but no he's like 29 or something him and his his loyal assistant and he basically says girl I, at first I was like, is this the right movie? Because it's all in French. What is
1: going well, on? Well, it begins with a really surprisingly intense kidnapping uh-huh. where they basically human traffic, kidnap some blonde ladies to sell them in, into uh, sex work. Yeah. And the movie follows the family of the whips. Sorry, I keep playing with my feet and see Chris look down. Um, uh, so he rewind. So, yeah, these women are kidnapped, and it follows the family of the actual people who are kidnapped as they're going, we're trying to talk to the government. We don't know what to do. Yeah. The, 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 oh, grandpa guy walks yeah. up and is like, you want to hire Remo Williams. Or, or, um, yeah, and- or, or
0: these guys, or Jake's. So you list all these guys who are real fi- fictional characters yeah. that are known like Remo Williams, and then list Jake Speed, who is not. A, and so a, a the daughter who
1: she's the older sister of the one who was kidnapped, she gets contacted by Jake speed to who says like, hey, I can go. I can find your sister. You need to come to this location and I'll help you out. And Okay, so I'm going to give you the plot and then I'm going to give you my issues. So she follows along as they go to Africa and then go to a couple of other countries as they investigate the human trafficking and get more and more drawn into this uh, kind of criminal underbelly that exists overseas as watching her slowly start to get pulled along as well. And there's a lot of talk about... Are they real? Are they not real? Are they being? Are they scamming I mean, her? Yeah, is this all common, bullshit? Are they like, um, just pretending to be these people? And that's the movie. Uh, but the problem, <laughs> the problem is that he's kind of a terrible human being. Mm. Like Jake Speed spins every single second bitching at her for not doing what he wants yeah. and not following he's the plan. unpleasant. While never actually telling her the plan. It even gets to a point, there's a segment where he tries to sell her to the Six human traffickers, does. yeah. but doesn't tell her that he's going to sell her. Right. So when she understandably gets pissed off that she's being sold, he bitches at her and gaslights her. can you tell that was part problem. of the plan? And, and the movie... Ends up on his side, yeah, which is really weird.
0: It's like it's it's, this was obviously made in lieu of the huge success of the film *Romancing the Stone*, which has like person, yeah, female coming in, ends up being forced to work with this person who is kind of a iconic, legendary badass, and slowly they go from despising each other to generally liking each other on a adventure. It's a good idea. That's a great movie. This is a terrible fucking yeah. movie. Like like uh, the
1: actress is a good job, yeah. but everybody else is horrible. And if you if you ever have anyone who doesn't understand the concept of gaslighting, show them this movie. <laughs> like it, it is you have it. Everything you need to know about what gaslighting is like. It's uh.
0: It's a shame because it is a fun idea. It is. And I'm like, man, are you guys looking for those films that you're like, wow, this was a shitty film with a good idea. We should remake that the way they did with like Ocean's Eleven, for instance. The original, by the way, of Ocean's Eleven is fucking terrible. You have to be like a huge fan of the Rat Pack to you know sit
1: through that movie. I, I would but, be in for a remake of this.
0: Yeah. I'm like, this is good enough of an idea. I'd be like, man, if somebody actually got some good people to do this, this would be a cool movie to do a and remake of.
1: Delightfully, nobody involved in the production of this movie knows how guns work yeah. because his his main weapon is a pump-action shotgun, yes. which is really, as the movie depicts it, a pump-action grenade launcher. Yeah. He uses it twice in the movie, where he'll just rapid-fire six rounds, boom, 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 and explodes a oh, yeah. brick wall, whole wall down, or just explodes an entire bar. It's it is so outlandish, and there are moments like that that you want to like the movie. And and then he's just a really horrible human being that you True. don't want to be around.
0: There's not a lot extra here, surprisingly. Uh, there's which paperback is weird for wishes, C- cinematic dreams for 21 minutes, which is a interview with the co-writer, co-producer, and director Andrew Lane. Uh, and there's the hard way reads better for 12 minutes, which is an interview with producer William Fay, who looks back on the project. I mean, hey man, what are you gonna do? They're, they can't all be winners, right? Indeed. I, I mean, this one in particular is decidedly not, despite. Like I said, having an intriguingly cool
1: concept. Now, Steven Soderbergh, remake this movie, please.
0: I was really looking forward to this next one, Lucky Day. It's the return <sighs> of uh, director-writer Roger Avery, who, say what you will about the rest of his filmic output, the man co-wrote Pulp Fiction with Quentin Tarantino. Well, and
1: I remember after Pulp Fiction, there, there was a phase where it was kind of cool to hate on Quentin Tarantino a bit. It was like right after Kill Bill, where there were a lot of people who were going, no – he actually is the reason why Pulp Fiction was good. I remember that. Um, it
0: kind of the way that people were about, like, the reason the first two Star Wars films are good, but the third one isn't. Yeah. Depending on who you ask. But that because the guy who co-wrote those films with Lucas was... Kicked to the side uh and, and apparently there's somewhere in in that guy's imagination is a totally different third film than what we got with Return i know a little Jedi. bit about
1: what that was going to be it was very different uh but but
0: avery went on to do killing zoe which is which, a very tarantino feeling film but not as good as the tarantino film i remember and, enjoying it yeah I mean, it's not bad yeah it's not super memorable either i would say slightly better but still on the not a film i like hold up as an all-time classic is his the rules of attraction I which is a Brett Easton Ellis adaptation
1: hated this movie. did you ah. I-, I saw it in college it's one of those I've been meaning I to think rewatch that's the one Cargill is in it, briefly uh, I it is it is and I remember my wife picked it and my friend and I who saw it with her before we were married as soon as we walked out of the movie turned to her and went you don't get to pick movies for a while
0: well he also <laughs> wrote Silent Hill which was not very good he wrote Beowulf which I thought was actually very underrated and quite good but at that point it still had that kind of uncanny valley yeah, yeah the CG tech is the reason going that on issues. exactly um but so this is kind of his return after going to jail for manslaughter for several years i was like okay cool it's also got uh nina Dobrev, who is an actress i've enjoyed pl- uh, in a lot of her roles yes, that she's she- done on television ex- uh, as well i don't know as much about the main male lead here luke bracy um who's been in stuff like the gi joe retaliation and the point break remake but he is a safe cracker named Red who's just been released from prison after a while. He's trying to get back together with his family. Nina Debrev is his wife, very much in love. She is a, a uh, um, artist who is just on the verge of having her big show, uh, <coughs> and they have a kid together. Uh, the problem is, is that there is a psychopathic killer that is coming after him because. His brother died in the heist that he went to jail for and he holds this guy responsible and said killer is a giant cartoon character basically Which, played by Crispin Glover. I have
1: to point out the motivation that you just described is not explained till an hour into this hour and a half long movie.
0: Yeah, uh, but he's basically going through town and murdering anyone he comes across in really distressing ways like there's a scene where he goes into a bar yeah. and he takes the bartender's girlfriend into the bathroom and loudly and and clearly hate fucks her i mean you hear him like they're saying things that are like okay and then shoots her in the head when he's done no no
1: no he cuts her throat or cuts her throat cuts her throat <laughs> yeah, and
0: you're like the, you know and you're like that's i don't what yeah uh, like oh i don't want to fucking see shit like that that's horrible It's not. I know Avery felt like it was funny. It's not funny. It's just creepy. So he's trying to make this character into a guy who's like this over-the-top psychotic hitman who is so over-the-top that it's funny. But honestly, he's just so over-the-top that it's unbelievable. Like, like you just takes
1: you right out of the movie. And most of the time, it's just fucking creepy and gross. Well, there's a lot of that in this movie, though. The there's a parole officer who is a legitimately good actor who i have Clifton Collins Cliff Jr. Clifton Collins who, Jr. Jr., who we like very much. Who plays, at, who is a horrible racist asshole who is also a dignified art collector, which admittedly there was a couple of giggles there, but it's yeah. so on the nose obvious. Yeah. Uh, when it gets into the art showing, it is such a old, tired indictment of the art crowd. Yeah. To a point okay. that the ultimate big joke payoff of the end of the movie, the moment they did the setup it was like oh this is what's, gonna, what's gonna happen, gonna happen and yeah and there's but, also
0: an annoying bit with david hewlett who was one of my favorite actors ever in the stargate series he played like the the, the basically the dr smith of stargate atlantis who's like the scientist who oh, nobody likes yes. because he's a jackass but was like one of the standout roles Where he's of just show. kind of a rapist now. Uh, and here he's like the guy who's like owns the gallery who is straight up fucking Like a like, oh well. I'll tell you what. I'll help you, but only if you start having sex with me. And And if you don't, why is this character even in this movie? And if you don't, I'm going to ruin your life. Why is this character even in this movie? And I think it's only to add color to the deeply uninvolving story of this ex-con and his wife, which is they have nothing to do except oh shit, there's a hitman coming after us, which they don't even know till really late in the movie. Nobody does. That's the
1: so. First of all, I think we can unequivocally say now that. Hey, Roger Avery, I'm glad you're working, but no, Quentin Tarantino is the reason Pulp Fiction is good. Yeah. Um, this is a Quentin Tarantino knockoff. This feels like all those nineties movies that came out around that time. Um you can see that he He wants to make it funny, and he wants to make it quippy, and he wants to have these characters have quirks that make them more real, but nobody in the entire movie has an arc in any way, shape, or form. There's no narrative push. It's just treading water until the last half hour, and at that point, I didn't care. By the time the narrative actually tries to happen. Like, I, I wanted to like this movie. I remember enjoying Killing Zoe quite a bit. But this is just... It's it, just bad. It, I, I don't even like what I say bad because, like... I mean, there's something... Like, this, th- there are things that work about it. It's just that there's nothing to it. It just is. It I mean, just I, sits there. I just
0: so... Like, I should love Crispin Glover as an insane psychopathic killer. But I've... It's one shtick he's playing. It doesn't really make a lot of sense uh, or fit into the real world. The other characters are—they're trying to fit into the real, normal world. He is not. He's from a totally different world. Well, and
1: you know what it is—is is that, that Roger Avery wants these characters to be interesting enough to carry us through the movie that has no narrative. Yeah. But they're not because they don't change. They don't have any real opinions. They just are quirky and weird. Like I, I can see this story working. Under a different uh, writer or different director's hands, and being like, okay, this is an interesting, quirky, hyper-violent, like Lucky Number Eleven kind of thing. Yeah, which and I like, liked. Like, like, I can see that working, but in the hands of Roger Avery, he drops the ball big time.
0: Yeah, this is—it's not even really worth a watch. No, it is
1: not. Skip yeah. it.
0: Uh, our last film. Well, let me just start off by saying when I was a kid, one, pretty much my favorite television show for several years was the show that was produced by Mel and created by Mel Brooks and Buck, Buck Henry called Get Smart. I love the shit out of the show, which was a send up of spy thrillers like James Bond, among many, many other things. It was constantly making little nods at the men, man from Uncle and yeah. shit like that. But it was a very Mel Brooks comedy. Like, if you've seen a Mel Brooks movie... You can get an idea of what a spy spoof by Mel Brooks would be like, and this was the show. I loved the shit out of it. A lot of people loved the shit out of it. It ran. I a even lot. loved
1: the shit out of it. It was,
0: it, and still kind of funny to go back and watch with Don Adams playing Maxwell Smart, Agent Eighty Six well many years later after the end of the show they decided let's get together and do a theatrical film and bring literally no one back together for this film except for Maxwell, Maxwell smart, smart agent 86 and, even though like his like the the female sort of love interest if you will uh who is like one of the other agents who's there who everybody loved as well in the show nowhere to be seen not even mentioned in this film she said she wasn't even approached you know the in it. Yeah, that's fitting uh the guy who given the movie the guy who played his boss who was the the other third main character is not in this only because he, the actor had died. And so they had to replace him with someone else here, uh, Dana Elkar, who's one of those actors. You don't know his name, but trust me, you've seen him in a hundred things. Um, Don Adams returns as Agent 86 with a secret, uh, with Chaos, who is the big bad, bad acronym, terrorists, have a bomb that destroys only clothing it's because yes. they want to make the whole world naked and be them be the only supplier of clothes to the entire world did i say this was a mel brooks spy spoof so don adams maxwell smart has to go out there and figure out how to stop this very uh, iconic looking uh, and well clothed masked supervillain yes. and this is fashion designer villain not anywhere near as good as the show partially because mel brooks and buck henry were not involved in any way for this which what are you thinking? Why would you not get these comedy geniuses involved in making in being part of the movie the movie of this baffling um it's not unfunny completely it, like, it has it, there's some
1: good verbal play yeah like, like there are occasional moments where like you can tell the scriptwriters were firing on all cylinders, and there's some back and forth repartee that is downright hilarious. It doesn't really carry the whole movie through, though. And it's also the only movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Brag in the opening credits, can you believe we made a movie called, in this case, The Nude Bomb and only got rated PG? Like, it just... I've never seen someone be like, can you believe how family appropriate we are? (laughs) Uh,
0: By the way, one of the, if you watched a lot of TV in the 80s, Pamela Hensley, who was well known for playing Princess Ardala in the Buck Rogers TV show, plays one of the characters in here, Agent 36. But, I mean, a lot of the people in here are plays on variations on other agents who appeared on the television show, just played by different actors. Um, It's okay. It's you know it's one of those like I, I liked it. I watched it three times in the theater when I was a kid. Wow! What are you going to do? I was a huge fan of the series, but you know I didn't know any fucking better. This came out in when it was 1980. I was 10 years old, you know, and it was despite the title family appropriate. There's no actual nudity in this film. Yeah, that's no. Spelled.
1: I know. Th- th- this is one of those movies where uh, I think of that Simpsons bit where they walk out of scene Naked Lunch. Yeah. And are like, I can think of two things wrong with that title. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, th- this is... It, you got it right. It's okay. Yeah. It's occasionally funny. Honestly, I'm gonna say something that's probably gonna get you to scoff at me. I'd rather watch the new one with Steve Carell. I think it's better.
0: I did not care for that. Um, I will say... After this, and it was really disliked and by critics and not well-received by audiences when it came out. In fact, it got uh, nominated for Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Picture, but it lost, and rightfully so, to Can't Stop the Music, which is go. truly terrible. Uh, but uh, <laughs> ten years after this, they did another revival film called Get Smart Again, which actually brought back all the surviving cast members this time. Ignored the nude bomb entirely, and I don't think I ever saw it. I'm not 100% sure, but... Uh, from what I'm reading, it was much better thought of than this movie. It would be hard. Yeah. Um. I mean, like, what are you gonna do? It's, yeah. it's like, uh, like I, I'm gonna keep this. I, I loved Get Smart growing up. I wish they would
1: re release the whole series. I agree. You know? I, I, I grew up watching reruns on like TNT. I yeah. enjoyed the heck out of it. I, I just, I wish that the jokes were funnier.
0: Yeah. It's just not as good as the yeah. show. Uh there's an audio commentary by film historian Peter Tunget. Uh, There's a bit from Trailers from Hell with Alan Spencer, uh, and that's about it. So it's not a lot of bonus features here. But you know what? It's still, man, fucking Don Adams. He's underappreciated even in his time. Uh, Actually, I feel like there is more here. What am I missing? Oh, yeah, there's deleted, extended, and alternate dialogue scenes. Um, There's... Uh, textless opening closing credits. I I didn't watch that. I don't even know what that means. But yeah, hardly our pick of a week. we said what our pick of the week is.
1: It wasn't the strongest collection of movies this time around. No, they all had
0: interesting things. They they were
1: interesting at the very least. There wasn't, aside from running Delilah, there wasn't anything where I struggled to get through. No, that's fair.
0: Uh, We'll be back very soon. I know originally this was going to be John's show first, but I had some audio troubles and a, a mixing board that broke and that we haven't been able to figure out the time to schedule with him. So there'll be another one with John popping up very closely on the heels of this one. uh, And we will see you then.